There was a man sent from God. There was a man sent from God. Please bow with me in prayer. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, hallowed be Thy name. Lord, we come to You through the blood sacrifice, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and loves us to the end and gave Himself for us. May not a day go by each and every one of us and, and that we do not think about this great love and everlasting love. Lord, we now come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace, Lord, that we may obtain mercy, Your compassion, and find grace, Lord, to help in time of need. And Lord, we pray now for help. Lord, I confess that I'm weak. Lord, I confess, Lord, that in myself, Jesus, I can do nothing without You. As we look to You, we look to You alone for Thy help and power through Your blessed Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we pray that He alone would be the teacher, the one that exalts and lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, all is vain here unless Your Holy Spirit quickens us. So we would ask, Lord, quicken us according to Thy Word so that we may live. Revive us, O God. Sanctify us, we pray, Lord, by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. This is what we desire, Lord. Your cleansing upon our heart. Your sanctifying us. Setting us apart to be used of Your glory for Thy kingdom. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus for Thy glory and honor. In His name, Amen. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John Baptist. John Baptist was a man and only a man. Sent from God. He was commissioned from God. And he was commissioned from God alone. He had a call that was holy, set apart, just as all the apostles were. But John Baptist was unique. He was last of the Old Testament prophets. He had a special privilege like no other man ever had. And this is why he was great. And we're going to look at that. But yet, this man was... If he was here today, he would not be accepted. And he would not call himself great because he saw himself before God as he was, not worthy to even unlatch at the shoes of Jesus. He was sent from God. He was commissioned from God. A strong contrast here is being made between what has been said about Jesus Christ and what is now being said about John Baptist. Notice what it says. He was a man sent from God. A man. A mere man. Christ was not just a mere man. He was the Son of Man. The Son of God. Christ was in the beginning. He was with God and He was God. That's what the context actually says. John 1, verse 1 and 2. John Baptist, however, was a man. We need to remember this. He was a man. And who had come into existence at birth. He had a beginning. Jesus had no beginning. He is the beginning. He is the capital M. Man. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. John Baptist had a, a beginning at birth, like we all do. But his birth was miraculous. Because God's hand was upon him to send him as a forerunner for Jesus Christ. And just as all men, like all of us, uh, we all have a beginning. 
of our existence at birth. Yet John was a man, small m, whereas Jesus was the son of the living God. John was not a divine being. He was a human being, but not a divine being come incarnate. He was not even an angel. But he was a mere man. A mere man. Yet, a man sent from God. He had a call of God upon his life, unique, like no other man. Now, we're going to look at him today as an example of humility with what the text has to say. And we're going to look at several scriptures, but ultimately Jesus is the greatest example of, of humility, right? We know this. But we're going to stay with the text. John the Baptist was commissioned, as we looked at last Lord's Day, he was commissioned, sent from God. And he also had a mission, and his mission was very special. A man of high calling, a man that had a mission of enormous responsibility and enormous accountability. He was a man sent by God, from God, and not sent by man, like most so-called preachers today. Hard to find men of God. I told a, a guy this here not long ago that this one particular guy he was mentioning, I know him in the retail business, and calls himself pastor, pastors of church, as I do. And, and I told him, and he was talking about how terrible and unholy this guy's life is. And he, he really is. He, he, bear, he does not bear the marks of a child of God. It's sad that he bears the name of Jesus, but yet does not bear the marks of a true Christian, a true child of God, a true disciple of Christ that has not denied himself and taken up his cross and following Christ. And I said, my friend, there is a difference between a person that says he's a pastor and a person that is a true man of God. I said, what you want to see is a man of God. And I said, not, not a perfect man. I said, only Christ is the perfect man, but a sanctified man a man of God, a person, a man that is sent from God, and a person that has a passion for God and loves God. A lot of people can call themselves pastor and just preach sermons, but not have a burden of the Lord upon their heart and soul. Sad. Amen, Brother Keith. It's called holiness. And that is lacking in churches within our nation. It's really sad. But think about this. John the Baptist came on the scene, the courtroom of, of the earth, to bear witness of Jesus Christ, who is the true light. John was a light, but he's like a lamp in comparison to the brightness, the sun. John was a man sent by God, not by man. That says so much, doesn't it? We see this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. I, I believe I read from it last Lord's Day, but let's revisit it. Go to Matthew 3. And I, I love the way chapter 3 begins of Matthew. It speaks about John the Baptist prepares the way, and that was his, that was his mission, right? In those days, verse 1, John, Baptist, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. First thing we see, and saying, what, what, what is his message? Here's his message. Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same message Jesus preached. This prophet of God comes out of the wilderness, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. Turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was, now, now it tells about his clothing, his diet. Listen, this was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. A true Nazarite, called of God, separate, He's not like the priest. 
He's a man of God. He's sent from God. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Listen to this man's message, folks. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Now notice his shift in his message. And this is what his message is really all about. He's preaching repentance, but his main mission is to prepare the way of the Lord, the King. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that fire is speaking about here, this unquenchable fire he's about to speak of, is talking about judgment. His willowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire, which is speaking of judgment. Now, I want you to think about this. Anytime John the Baptist preached, he's always pointing people to Jesus Christ. He's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Look, there's the, man, there's the Lamb of God. He's the one. He's the one of whom I'm speaking about. He is the one. He is, my per- he is everything that I'm speaking about, and that was John's mission. That's his mission. So we read that. John the Baptist was a man sent from God. As the text says, he was commissioned from God with a mission from God. His mission is found in verse 7 in John chapter 1. Back to our text. His mission is right here, folks. What is it? Verse 7. This man came for a witness. Apostle John comments on this and by the Holy Spirit says he came for a witness to bear witness of the light. The light. We know who the light is. The Lord Jesus Christ. That all through Him might believe. That's the purpose of the ministry of John the Baptist. To point people to Jesus Christ that all through Him might believe. And as we will continue later on, as if you notice John the Apostle breaks this down. He came into his own, his own did not receive him. Verse 11, verse 12 and 13 speaks about that belief. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. There it is. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's all of God. Belief. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. His mission was to bear witness. To bear witness of the light. To testify of the light. Or to declare. That's what it means. To declare Jesus Christ. This is what every minister should be doing. Whether he be called to be evangelist whether it be called to be a pastor, teacher, he is to bear witness, to testify, to declare to the people that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. I had the opportunity to, give, to tell someone of this, the, the, the general manager at, um, at Cracker Barrel mentioned, there was a, a, a lady that came out and he just outright says, this, this, this young lady needs to hear the gospel. And I said, really? We all do. And because um, he's been surrounded, by, he said, by Catholics, by primitive Baptists, and it's really mixed up. And I had the opportunity, and she was mentioning about her grandmother that practiced voodooism, Satanism, and so forth. And I said, tell your grandmother, just open the Bible. 
Just read the Bible. And then I had the opportunity, I said, Jesus Christ is what the Bible is all about. And Jesus said of himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I commented on that. I said, there's three things. I'd like to give you three L's I'd like to leave you with. Jesus was a liar, or he was a liar, or a lunatic, or he's Lord. And I said, I assure you that the last is the truth. He's Lord. So that's our mission. That, just as John the Baptist, we point people to Jesus, right? John the Apostle uses words translated witness, listen to this, 33 times as a verb and 14 times as a noun in his gospel. Speaking about the word witness, witness. The term is particularly important to his purpose, which is to record adequate witness to Jesus as the Messiah so that individuals might believe in him. So John's gospel really is an evangelistic gospel. That's why we have chosen these tracts to give out. It is evangelistic. This is one of the greatest gospels when it comes to evangelism that you can give to somebody to read. So it's evangelistic. Notice in verse 8, the Apostle John says this. He, speaking of John the Baptist here, was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. So he's the servant of God, right? He's the servant of God and a humble servant. He has one primary purpose, one purpose in life. And that purpose and that mission is to lead men, to point people to the the light, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 49.6 says this, Indeed, he says... It is too small a thing that you should be my servant. Now, if you look at the text there, my servant is capital M, capital S, speaking of Christ, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my Salvation to the ends of the earth. So this servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of God, the suffering servant of Christ, he comes to the world, enters into the world, and the world in which he made, we see this in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He comes to fulfill the call of Abraham the nation of Israel, to be a blessing to the other nations. And Jesus' death, and after the death of Jesus, I'm sorry, and resurrection, after His resurrection, the great commission of global evangelism is carried on by His apostles and those who succeed us, succeed Him, I'm sorry, succeed them, which is us who believe to the ends of the age until Jesus comes again. So we see the great humility of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is really the the one that has the greatest humility of all. He is the Lord of glory in Scripture. But John the Baptist, who was the Lord's forerunner, the last of the Old Testament prophets, he says a lot here, and the Scripture says a lot about him. He's He's actually, according to the Word of God, the greatest man According to Jesus Christ that ever lived, that was ever born of women, up until that time. Now, I would say the greatest man next to Jesus Christ, of course. That's a given. But he was the greatest man that ever lived. Beloved, the supreme lesson of John the Baptist's life is summed up in one word. Humility. Humility. Now, we could learn a lot from John the Baptist. And that's what I like for us to look at is his ministry. John, John's ministry is a role model for us in the lesson of humility in ministry. In ministry. Now, Jesus Christ, again, I, I can't say this enough, is the ultimate example, of course. But we don't want to discredit John. 
John was used of God. From the Word of God we see this. We also need to see how John Baptist set an example of humility for Jesus. As we should do. There could be no more vital message, actually, that we all need to hear that God hates pride. I cannot remind myself of this every day that I, that I live and walk on this earth because God is a God that is absolutely holy and He hates pride above all things. And actually, if you look in Scripture, we won't, have, we, we won't go there, but you know, this is what turned an archangel into a devil. Pride is actually satanic. I believe it's the one sin above all that God hates. It actually says in the list, the, seven, the six things that's abomination to the Lord, seven goes on with the seventh. And number one, a haughty look. God used John Baptist because he was, he was a humble man. He was willing to obey the Lord. And by the Spirit of God, he cultivated a life of humility. Humility. True humility. We're not talking about false humility. This man was truly humble. And we're going to see his humility. John Baptist was a man sent from God and he truly was a man. And he even declared and testified that he's not that light. Jesus is that light. That's our message. He was a man. He was great. But he was not the light. Also, i like for you to remember this, that I like the way John MacArthur, and it's a message I would really encourage each and every one of you to listen to if you can in your spare time. The First Law of Ministry by John, by John MacArthur. Really good. And he speaks about the life of John Baptist and it's the role model for ministry. He really goes into some serious, good, very rich detail on this subject. But Scripture says a lot about John Baptist. Let's go to another uh, passage of Scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. And let's hear what the Lord has to say. The Lord Himself about John Baptist. This is very good. A lot is said about John Baptist, and that's why I'm breaking this up in different parts. John Baptist actually here sends messengers to Jesus. In chapter 11 of Matthew, look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John... This is John Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Interesting question, isn't it? But I'm going to show you from the text in just a few minutes. This is not a, a lack of faith. This is not wavering faith. I do believe that John Baptist was confused, but he, there was not a lack of faith in who Jesus really was. Because he understood that Jesus was the Lamb of God, right? We know that. Notice in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Now I want to read on quite a bit here. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. At this time, you've got to realize that John has decreased, folks. Jesus is increasing, and that is exactly what John the Baptist desired. Even though he's in prison, he's, he sends these two disciples to Christ... There's, there's, there's something there in his mind that's going on. And he doesn't quite understand, but Jesus basically sets it straight. Notice what Jesus says about John Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? Question. A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who hear soft, wear soft, soft clothing are in king's houses. This man was rugged, powerful, a man of God, set apart. Verse 9, but what did you go out to see? Notice Jesus constantly is asking this. A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Jesus quotes scripture. Isn't it wonderful to hear the living word quote the living word? I mean, the living word quote the written word. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare you your way before you. Jesus is speaking of himself. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, I believe this is Brother Ben's favorite verse here, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What a verse. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Jesus is telling us he's basically the last of the Old Testament prophets. And verse 14, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is basically uh, answering that. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what do I, what shall I like in this generation? What a question. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and we did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners but wisdom is justified of her children let me stop right there very interesting very interesting John the Baptist basically comes on the courtroom scene and here he is decreasing so that Jesus may increase Jesus' popularity has risen and rises and continues to rise in John's has decreased. There's great lessons we can learn here. Pastor John MacArthur says this from study notes on the study Bible. And I like this quote. He says, quote, John the Baptist had introduced Christ as one who would bring a fierce judgment and burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire in chapter 3, verse 12. He was understandably confused by the um, turn of events that he was imprisoned and Christ was carrying on a ministry of healing and not judgment in Galilee. Far from Jerusalem, the city of the king, and not finding a completely warm reception there, according to John 8, 34, John wondered if he had misunderstood Jesus' agenda. This is interesting. Listen to what MacArthur says. It would be wrong to interpret this as a wavering of his faith in verse 7, end quote. It would be wrong to interpret this as a wavering of his faith. Now, if you notice in verse 4, Jesus said this to the disciples that John the Baptist sent. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. And he goes on. And gives the answer to give John assurance of who Jesus, of who he is, that he is the Messiah. Go tell John, go tell John, the blind see, verse 5, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. It's interesting that our Lord does not offer any further explanation to John the Baptist. That's pretty much the answer. 
Why? That's a good question, isn't it? Why? I really believe because our Lord knew exactly how strong John's faith was. He knew who Christ was. It was just he had somewhat, not doubts, but he was confused. It was what Jesus' message was. He thought, as many thought, as the disciples thought, that as Jesus comes, He's going to bring this kingdom. As we are going to see, Lord willing, if Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming, what Christ is going to do at the second coming. This is basically what the Messiah was promised to do. The King. But how God ordained things that Christ were to die on the cross was really beyond what we would think. How God would bring everything together. Even though John the Baptist really understood that he was the Lamb of God. He was, this, he was God's Lamb. But he didn't understand. He didn't understand a lot what was going on about the works of Christ. So he sends two of his disciples... Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Very human. He's a man, right? He's a man. John Baptist is truly humble. He's a humble man. And beloved, no matter where, what else we do in our lives, true humility, if true humility, I get it out, is not ours personally, then God will resist anything else that we will do. He opposes it. He resists us. God hates pride. God is, and I'd like to say it like this, is in moment by moment in a personal warfare against the pride of life. It is sin, and I really believe it is the most hated sin as you look throughout the entire Word of God that God hates pride. We see it almost in every, on every page, just about. It's all over. It, it, is a, it is a terrible sin. It, it, it can be forgiven and it's something even a child of God has to work on in sanctification until he goes to be with the Lord. It's not the unfi- unforgivable sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, right? But God hates pride. It is a sin that is horrible. Proverbs eighteen twelve. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. Proverbs 15.33 The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And listen to verse 19. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone proud, and listen to this, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go and punish. Verse 6, in mercy, I'm so thankful he, they, the Word of God the Spirit of God put it, put it in, God, in His Word here. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So John Baptist pointed to Christ, giving us an example to follow. By using John the Baptist as a role model for ministry, God demonstrates the essence of humility in John. We see humility in John And I really believe that that is the key to God's real blessing in in our lives and in ministry is true humility. It's not to be seen, but to be hidden. For Christ to increase, that we may decrease. John Baptist was prepared by God as a man sent from God. Why? Why? Because John was used of God in such a great way. He was refined. He was shaped by God in the wilderness. Interested while God was working on John. Jesus was in obscurity. He He was hidden. 
for 30 years. John comes on the scene. God uses John because he's a man of humility. Let's look at from the Scriptures what testifies to us and what the Scriptures testify by the Spirit of God of John's secret to his humility. Go with me to John. Gospel of John. Back to John to our text. And we're going to look at his character. His character. Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse... We will look at verse... 20, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Now, before we get started in this, Scripture tells us and reveals John's character as he sought to serve the Lord to be His humble servant. The key to constantly keep before us is it is grace that gives us humility. And Christ is to increase and John saw it that he must decrease. That should be our heart's cry. That's the essence of true humility. Just as every sin starts in pride, every virtue begins in humility. Humility always allows us to see ourselves as we really are because it shows us before God as He is. So the life of John the Baptist gives us seven principles I'd like for us to look at of true humility. Again, I like what Pastor MacArthur said in the first law of ministry. As Jesus, the rising of the sun, comes up, John is like the bright star that is dying and fading away. Fading away. The sun rises, Christ. But the star fades. The first thing we see of John the Baptist about his humility because he was used, he used his life, I should say, as a, as a ministry to others. His life was used, his entire life was a ministry to others. His entire life was a ministry to others. John chapter, look at verse 19, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests to the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. We, we see him constantly saying this. I am not the Christ. They ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. <laughs> Says a lot about John the Baptist. Oh, there's humility right there. You know, a lot of people would come up to priests and so-called priests and pastors today. Are you, are you such an, are you Dr. So-and-so? Oh, yes, I'm Dr. So-and-so. That's sad. Isn't it? God hates pride. They even asked, if, are you, are you the, the prophet? No, no I'm, no, I'm not the prophet. I'm, and notice what he, he, he leads to this. Then, then they said to him, are, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That was his answer. That was his answer. Let me read a little further. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why do you why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Notice how he instantly points to Christ. 
It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. There's humility. And these things were done in the Bethabarba, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. You know, keep in mind, in ancient times, before a king visited any part of the river's rim, a messenger was always sent before him to prepare the way. This is the way it happened. This included both repairing the, the roads and preparing the people for the arrival of the king and by calling the nation Israel to repentance. John Baptist prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what he was sent to do. So he prepared the way of the Lord. So he is a man of true humility. He gives his life as a ministry to others. Secondly, we see John the Baptist was humble because he closed his mouth to complaining. He closed his mouth to complaining. Did you notice that? Notice without recognizing it, John's disciples were putting him into a situation of competing against the Lord Jesus Christ unintentionally. And yet, John the Baptist had no problem with this. The disciples were the one who was basically saying in verse 26, And go with, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. Let's jump a couple of chapters. Let me read verse 22. This is where I meant. After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea, and there He remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptized in Enon near Salem because there was much water there. Wow, I could sit, I could really... Go to town with that. Much water. I, I would think immersion, right? But we won't go there right now. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose a dispute between some of the, John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Now, there's, there's no complaining here to John. Notice, notice what he says. The scripture says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. What an answer. John's disciples is basically putting him in a situation of competition against the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that? Verse 26. Behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. It's interesting to note that four of the greatest men in the entire Bible, outside of Christ now, Jesus is the greatest, but even he had this situation Face the same problem in comparison and competition. Moses in Numbers chapter 11. John the Baptist here in chapter 3. Jesus we see in Luke 9. And in Paul. Even Paul in chapter 1 of Philippians. But my question is this. How did John Baptist handle this controversy? That's really the question. How did he handle it? He didn't complain. He wasn't proud. So he didn't grasp onto his ministry like most preachers would do. He knew that he was just a voice in the wilderness. He, he realized that his mission was to prepare the way of the Lord. This controversy revealed a deeper level of humility actually in John's life. He, he said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. That was his answer. If he's been given this gift, and, and, and if it comes from above, then it's of God. And he's basically saying, I rejoice. I rejoice about it. The third thing we see is 
John Baptist was humble because he was obedient to the will of God. He was obedient to the will of God. Again, verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John Baptist was an obedient man to God's will. He did the will of God. Should not we do the will of God? Be obedient to the will of God? John saw that his duty in life and his purpose in life was to love God and to obey God. You could summarize the Christian life really down to those two things. All important desire is to love God and to obey God, to be obedient to the will of God, to be obedient to the voice of God, to God's will, whatever the cost may be of discomfort. It did not matter to John. And by the way, he proved that. They threw him in prison for preaching repentance. And all he desired in life was to be obedient to the voice of God, to His Word, simply in childlike faith and humble service to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the King of glory in which He prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. He realized all ministry and blessing came from God. That's why I love this verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. And actually, since all of our gifts are from God, every good and perfect gift comes from above, the Father of lights, in which there is no variable and it's a shadow of turning. Whatever God does, it's within those gifts through us, through a means through us in which God uses people, sinners. That's all He has really to work with. For His will, for His honor, for His glory. So John really had... A love to God and to be obedient to His will. Fourth, we see John the Baptist was humble because, and I love this one, he had eyes for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I think that should be the hallmark and the, one of the great marks of the Christian. We have eyes for Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't follow men, we follow Christ. How do we know that he had eyes for Christ and Christ alone? Look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 27, as it mentioned, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You, he, and then he says this, You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He knew he was sent. He knew his mission. He knew his commission. He knew why. And notice what he says. He rejoices in this. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Jesus Christ was his joy. He must increase. I must decrease. Can't hear that enough. John the Baptist had longing for Jesus Christ to be magnified, exalted, and lifted up. And by the way, let me insert this here. Since I'm a pastor, a teacher, folks, I'm telling you, and I heard Stephen Lawson say this, and he's absolutely right. The greatest compliment that you could compliment myself, a pastor, or any pastor, preaching the gospel is, and don't get me wrong, I pray that that what I preach and from the Word of God ministers to you and uplifts you and encourages you and points you to Jesus. But I do not want any pat on the back, and I really mean this. I just want to know, it, is, it, is it exalting Jesus Christ? And Stephen Lawson said this, the greatest compliment you could compliment and tell a pastor is, is Christ, Christ is being lifted up. Thank you, pastor, for making Christ lifted up and exalted and making God bigger. That's what it's about. Not the praises of men. Actually, if I desired the praises of men, I'm not a, I'm not a God called man. I should be hiding behind the cross, the shadow of the cross, as Christ is being lifted up. 
And every minister needs to have that same agenda. For all to see Jesus Christ and not John. That's what he's saying. He must increase, I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Notice that. He's exalting Christ. And is not that what the ministry of the Holy Spirit really does? He, he, he draws people to Christ. He lifts up Christ. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is in our midst. Christ is being exalted. Christ. Spurgeon says, if you don't preach Christ, he says, sir, go home and don't preach again until you have something to preach about. Let it be his last sermon. Amen. If he's not preaching Christ, it should be his last sermon. John Baptist desired all attention to Jesus Christ and not himself. Beloved, that's the desire of every one that is truly humble. All glory belonging to Jesus Christ. The supreme desire of those who minister humbly in the power of the Spirit of the living God should appoint people to Christ. Staying close to the cross of Christ. Staying close at the, to the feet of Jesus and on His feet and before His feet. Kissing His feet. Worshipping at His foot. At his feet and being crucified. This was Paul's great desire. If you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, we read it quite often here. But what did Paul say in chapter 2? Notice this in chapter and verse, I just read five verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come, I, I, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring the testimony of God. Verse 2 tells it. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. <laughs> Verse 5, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe as the Lord gave to each one? Question. I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. Did you see that? You hear that? God's to be glorified. We're just vessels, Paul's saying. We're just, who is Paul? Who's Apollos? They had this dispute. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another one builds on it. But each let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation anyone lay than, which, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the true church. He's the head of the church. And now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. Now he's talking about judgment. We'll declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. I like what Ravenhill said here about preachers. He said, Corinth could really relate to this. Because a fire went through Corinth. And he said, you know, if you think of it. When fire is laid to everything that is seen above ground. Like what? Wood, hay, and stubble. That's everything that's seen. Ministries that are seen. Ministries that even has numbers. But what about what isn't seen? Below the ground. Hidden in obscurity. That people don't recognize. But God sees it. 
See? That's what he's saying. Gold, silver, precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones. Put the fire to both. What do you got? The wood, hay, and stubble, like Ravenhill says, you'd be knee-deep in ashes. But if you put the fire to gold, silver, and precious stones, well, you still got the value. It's hidden below the ground. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, it will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. And then he says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Wow, that's, that's, that's really what Christianity is. The Spirit of God abides and dwells and inhabits us. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If anyone were to come to us, why are you a Christian? You know what our answer should be? Christ lives in me. That's the answer. Not because I do this or do that, because I go to church and I, I study the Bible or pray, and those are fruits, by the way. But let me say this. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God would destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Wow. It's sobering. But John the Baptist, he had that great desire. He had that great desire that Jesus Christ must increase. He must increase. My time is almost gone. Fifth, John the Baptist was humble because he had a heart. He had a closed heart, I should say, to being self-sufficient and self-seeking. Again, I must decrease. Jesus must increase. I must decrease, he said. Humility destroys self-absorption, self-preoccupation, self-sufficiency, self-reliance. Self, self, self must die. Our desire to become nothing compared to Christ, which becomes everything. He must increase. He must increase. Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me again there. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The sixth, John Baptist was humble because he had a desire to spend time, much time with God in prayer. Luke 11.1, how do we know this? Look at Luke 11, 1. This is interesting. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Wow, this is the Lord. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I really believe what urged him to say that We don't know which one of the disciples said this, one of his disciples, but we do know that John knows what he says. Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. John had a life of prayer. We know that that by that text, don't we? But also I believe that they heard Jesus. He is the model prayer. He is the one they wanted to really model after, but John the Baptist did have a prayer life. He loved the Lord. He prayed, and I really want believe this, God's people set their heart to pray. They love to pray, not to be heard of men or seen of men, but because they pray to God in secret. And then, of course, Jesus gives us the model prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the kind of model praying. John was a man of prayer, but Jesus exemplified that most of all. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't have time, I've got to skip some things here because time is running out, but Jesus was perfect Son of God. And time and time again, if you read through Luke's Gospel, you see His life, His prayer life given out 
the very Son of the living God, if He saw to it to spend much time in prayer, Jesus in the days of His flesh, folks, how much more do we need to pray? I think about that often. If Jesus saw it, that it was so important to pray constantly and meet with the Father in heaven, how much more shall we weak, feeble, fleshly, mere men need to pray and call on God? Seventh, the seventh and final one is John the Baptist was a man because when he opened his mouth, he opened his mouth to praise God. If you go to Mark 1, we see this. Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Mark 1, 7 and 8. And he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He was a man that pointed people to Jesus Christ. This marked him as a man sent from God. Beloved, there is nothing more powerful about humility in worship to the Son of God. Nothing more powerful. Remember how Paul described true believers as humble worshipers? Humility and worship go, they are tied together. Philippians 3, 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail us like the song we sung today. The arm of flesh, now let us lean on Christ with everything we have and cling to Him. Worship always flows from true humility, folks. From true humility. It's not about us, right? Not unto us. Not unto us. Matthew 23. Application to this. What about us? Matthew 23. Here it is. Verse 12. Uh, let me back it up a little bit. Verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saved such as of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. James 4. All familiar verses to us, but will we apply this to our lives? This is strong from James. Of course, you know James gets right down to the business. James 4, listen to verse 7 to 10. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Listen to that. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. There it is. 1 Peter 5. We've been here before, haven't we? But praise God, we need to be reminded. Verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord. We need to be reminded of these words and the ministry. We thank You for the ministry of John the Baptist that he had one desire, and that was for him to decrease and Jesus to increase. Help us, Lord, to live this out in our lives day by day by Your grace and for Your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.